All righty, it's time to dig in and get started. Grab your Bibles. We'll pick up where we left off, 1 Kings chapter 14. 1 Kings 14, we left a little bit of a paragraph there. We're going to finish that up. Before we do that, we'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, Lord God, please help us. We, we have your God-breathed word in front of us, and we need it to get a hold of our hearts. We need to grasp it with our mind, so we need the help of the Holy Spirit, because in understanding it, there'll be life, putting it into practice, not just hearing it, not just acknowledging it, but living it. So we need your help, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, some context, of course, is always helpful in the beginning. Here's a map that you are getting used to seeing, the divided kingdom, of course, will appear there. Uh, Israel has split now into two nations, really. Uh, The north retained the name of Israel because 10 states of the 12 states are comprising uh, Israel and the north. Uh, The two southern states, if we can call them states or tribes, uh, are uh, the tribe of Judah, often just called the tribe of Judah. And uh, it is split uh, never to come back together again. After the exile in 586, when Judah finally is taken away to uh, modern-day Iraq, uh, when they come back, it's just (coughs) Judah who has the revival. There's no real revival in the north. And so uh, we're taking a look at that. Now, interestingly, uh, the rest of 1 Kings from this point and all of 2 Kings Uh, is going to record the life and times of these two kingdoms uh, as they both kind of spiral downward toward exile and destruction. Uh, Do you remember who goes first? Israel goes first in 722 to the Assyrians. They'll come in and just destroy Israel and take the Jews away. And then a couple hundred years later, whatever it is, it's 586, King Nebuchadnezzar comes in for the south and and ransacks Judah, levels the temple, and um, uh, they come back in 70 years, but it's not until uh, Jesus and his second coming that things get really uh, restored as uh, they should be. Now, I do have a chart available. I made 100 copies. I didn't know that there were going to be more than 100 people here. Uh, Not that chart, but there's another one. Thank you. It's very helpful because now you've got, you've got all the kings of the north until all the way until 721 or 722 when Assyria comes in. The, these are them. They're all bad, so it's really easy. They're all just wicked, all right? So you don't have to worry which ones were good or bad because they're all bad, all right? But what's cool about the chart is you can see the prophets where they prophesied during. So you have the majors and the minors here. All right, and then you also, going around the the same time, you have the kings of Judah, the south, and eight were actually good, and these are all David's relatives. Every last one of them is related to King David, all the way until King Jesus. When King Jesus is born, he is blood, he is called the son of David, for a reason. They don't call people grandsons in the Bible. If you're related to them and and that's your grandfather times 17, they'll call him your son, your father. 
one house here, as the Lord promised in 2 Samuel 7, 16. He said to David, he said, uh, from your own body, I'm gonna bring a king who, whose kingdom shall never end. And that can only be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is related. Believe, <laughs> Jesus Christ is God the Son who forever reigns as God Almighty, as David's grandson. Forever our God is a glorified human being who is blood related to King David. Eternally, always. I just, I, I don't know, you can tell, I'm, that just tilts my brain, okay? So <laughs> there you go. You have this, nine different families are here. All right, so nine different houses in the north, but one house, as the Lord promised to David, uh, I will bring the Messiah through you and all the way down. <laughs> and you could read about this in Matthew chapter one or Luke chapter three, and you'll find Jesus' genealogy that he comes uh, through those lines. All right, thank you for that, and you can pick that up in the lobby if you're so inclined. I think it would be helpful. And so uh, from here, for our context, now I need the slide that just divides and shows Jeroboam in the, in the north and uh, Rehoboam in the south. We're dealing with king number one of the divided kingdom. Well, we just found out uh, his demise. We wrapped him up. So we're gonna make our way down the list now. First Kings and Second Kings goes down the list of those kings, right? And the way God does it, he doesn't just go through all of Israel first, and then he's gonna go through all of Judah. What he does is like a movie. He goes back and forth, every chapter. You get a little flashback of this, you get, you get north, then you got south. You got two kings doing this, and then you got two kings doing that. And, and uh, it's kinda, I think it's uh, more fun that way. And so, <laughs> you know, and the Lord's like, I'm glad you approved. <laughs> all right, and so we, uh, that's what we're dealing with here. Now, um, Lawrence Berra, well, better known as Yogi, his nickname, Yogi, because of his name, uh, Berra, was uh, famous, as most of you know, baseball player, coach, and manager, but he was equally famous for some of his quirky little odd proverbs that he would say. They were kind of so silly, but they were profound. Uh, it's not over till it's over, you know? He, he came up with that. I mean, really, it makes sense, but... It's kind of funny. <laughs> uh, well, he also said, you can see a lot by just looking. <laughs> I think one, one of the best benefits of studying these good kings and bad kings, mostly bad kings, is that we can see a lot by just looking. What a benefit. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse four, says that, the, the writings and the accounts of the Old Testament were written down for our example. And so that's really, what we're reading about is not just history, it, it's examples of how to live our lives to be blessed and, and, or, or not. And so we're gonna pick up here uh, the king of Israel, um, Jeroboam has fizzled out. We, we just finished that paragraph here in chapter 14. And now, what about his counterpart down in Judah, Solomon's boy? Did he do any better? 
Well, I'm glad you're asking, verse 21. Rehoboam, son of Solomon, was king in Judah, and we're in the south, right? <clears throat> he was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel in which to put his name. His mother's name was Nama. She was an Ammonite. Judah, that's important, all of them, <laughs> did evil in the eyes of the Lord. By the sins they committed, they stirred up his jealous anger. The word in Hebrew there is to provoke him. More than their fathers had done, they also set up for themselves high places, sacred stones, and Asherah poles on every hill and under every spreading tree. There were even male shrine prostitutes in the land. The people engaged in all the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Let's pause there. And uh, uh, tonight I've got a few proverbial idioms for our point headers, like this figure of speech, like father, like son. So if you're taking notes, like father, like son. So we, we get a hold of now news uh, that he, he, this king, Rehoboam, has uh, a son, or, or Rehoboam is the son of Solomon, and uh, because of Solomon, uh, he is going to be set up for uh, some failure. Now, uh, like father, like son, we're going to be seeing a lot of this kind of thing. Uh, there are, thankfully, some exceptions, uh, but the sins of dad and mom are always hard to sidestep for children following behind. And how often kids miss what we're trying to teach them uh, but definitely seem to pick up all of our sins and our weaknesses. Uh, the goal of Christian parenting should be the fewer stumbling blocks we leave behind, uh, the better, amen? Now, Solomon left obstacles of the spiritual kind in his son's path. So uh, Rehoboam here has stumbled over Solomon's sins uh, of idolatry, and unbridled lust. Uh, Solomon, dad, father of Rehoboam, never met a pretty girl he didn't propose to. <laughs> that was kind of his motto. If you're cute and pretty and have some money, uh, you can be my wife. Um, so worldly kings did that, but God's men was not to do that. So I have two back-to-back -back scriptures on one slide just to show you this, okay? Uh, Deuteronomy 17, 17. The king must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray hundreds of years before. And by the way, kings were required to have their own personalized copy of Deuteronomy. So Solomon had his own little scroll that he could read at bedtime. Apparently, he was not a big reader. <laughs> he was pretty smart, but he missed this one chapter, all right? Uh, he must not accumulate large amounts of silver or gold. It's okay for God to bless you, but the, the, the focus of your heart and life should not be about getting rich. Apparently, he had some issues there. Now, just look at us uh, here later. 
as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Okay, he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. As Solomon grew old, he had 700 uh, concubines and 300 wives or vice versa. Come on, that was ridiculous. And what happened? His wives turned his hearts, his hearts, (laughs) he had multiple hearts, uh, (laughs) away from the Lord. Now, for me, if you don't mind, I I just want to sermonize right there. Um, when God says not to do something, what God says will happen will happen when you do it. He says, listen, if, if he takes a lot of wives, especially foreign ones, they'll turn his heart from the one true faith. And it happened. That's exactly what happened. And uh, in, the, in the New Testament, Uh, the same thing happens. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. Um, If you don't do what he says to do, or if you do what he says not to do, what God says will happen, will happen. I mean, I was just, it was like, duh. He he just said, this is exactly what will happen. And we just do it or don't do it and think that somehow we're going to get away with it. And it just will always happen because God is that way. And thankfully, um, on the more upbeat note, when we do what God says to do, what God says will happen will happen as well. The mind controlled by the spirit will bring life and peace. Romans chapter eight and verse six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths going to happen. You do that, and what God says will happen, will happen. We just see it even here. So, thank you for that scripture. In disregarding God's word by having multiple wives and a couple other (laughs) blunders, uh, Solomon's heart has turned away, and he has uh, given way to idols and false gods, and he set up the whole place with false religions all over the land. And Rehoboam, his son, who finishes poorly here, stumbles over what Solomon left behind. And I think that's the point I wanted to make, is is that uh, Solomon set his son up for failure by finishing poorly. It reminded me of a young man in my office uh, who said, Pastor Ross, I, I have a really severe problem with pornography I said, well, when did this all start? And he said, well, I found my father's Playboy books when I was 12, and that's when it started. Or another person who recently told me, I said, how did, how did your life go so severely that way in a different genre of sin? And he said, well, my mom was a drug addict all my life. She is, to this day, a drug dealer. So the Holy Spirit makes sure to point out, verse 21, Rehoboam's mother was an Ammonite. You see that twice in your paragraph. Uh, Look it down at verse 31. By the way, did we mention the mom was an Ammonite? (laughs) You already mentioned it. Why are you saying it again? I'm saying he's saying it again because 
uh, Solomon set up Rehoboam. What else did you expect from your moms and Ammonite? The Ammonites worshiped in detestable ways. And so Nehemiah 13 talks about the disaster of marrying outside the faith. Uh, 2 Corinthians as well, chapter 6 and verse 14. Why would a believer who loves Jesus, has the Holy Spirit, ever be attracted to somebody who doesn't even want to pray over their meals? That's just what, Paul just says through the Holy Spirit, what, what sense does it make? What does Jesus have in common with the devil? That's what, those are the Bible's words. Why, there's no, nothing in common with light and dark. And so Solomon didn't care. And look what happened. His mother was an Ammonite. Oh, by the way, his mother was an Ammonite. Rehoboam fails. And mom and dad will play a part. Will play a part. Everybody's responsible for their own sins, but mom and dad here play a part. So Solomon opened the door. Mama set the table. Rehoboam, the boy, walked through the door, willingly ate what mama set up, and all of Judah happily followed. So verse 22, you see? It wasn't just Rehoboam. It was all of Judah as well. You know, sinners like Solomon and like me and you uh, never quite grasp the pain and destruction that personal choices bring others. Um, They don't. They always just think this is just my life and my personal choice. Solomon and Nama, come on, look what you did. Rehoboam, and it's not just Rehoboam. All of Judah. I don't think they were thinking that. Well, that's because the root of all sin is selfishness. So yeah, uh, if I hear this one more time from somebody who says, who am I hurting? Who am I hurting? You know what, sir? You're gonna get the whole detailed list at the throne of God. All right, you're gonna get the whole list. We're gonna get the whole list. Now, verse 22, provoking God to jealousy That's what they did. Judah and Rehoboam led the way. Uh, God always kind of likens the experience with Israel when they sin against him as a a jealous husband. He's like, I love you. I created you. I busted you out of Egypt Uh, with 10 spectacular, uh, what are they called? Plagues, yeah. (laughs) Uh, and I carried you, he says in, in, in Exodus chapter 19, I carried you on the wings of eagles. I, I brought bread down from heaven for you. Water was bubbling up out of rocks. And the rock, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, a rock followed them, which was Christ, a picture of Christ. A rock follows them. The hot sun, shielded by God's presence. It's cold at night in the desert, a pillar of fire. Even their sandals had a lifetime warranty. They, they never wore out, you know? And what did they do? What did they do? They went after rocks and stones and trees and sex and all of this crazy stuff. And so, mentioned here is what they traded in their husband, the Lord, for. The high places were where they liked to do their thing. 
and worship. Sacred stones mentioned in your text, uh, they'd ascribe powers to these stones, you know, like crystals. It's the same idea. It's the same idea. <laughs> and Asherah poles, carved trees in the image, nasty images of fertility, gods and goddesses. So there, uh, here's what verse 23 is saying. It was an in-your-face mentality on the top of all the hills and underneath every spreading oak, they do their thing, just like Absalom on the roof, in their face, for everybody to see. Prostitution, that's what was happening under those trees. He says, under every tree, there was their thought that, that, that sexual intimacy would unite them with their God. Now, and the Lord says, on top of every hill and underneath every tree. No skulking about in darkness. They abandoned God for the gods of the pagans. Verse 24, even the male prostitutes, KJ, uh, King James has sodomites there because the, the word is this. It wants you to know that the men prostitutes under those trees are not doing business with women. That's the truth. So God brought the smack down as he always will do, 25 through the end of the chapter. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem. He carried off the treasures of the temple of the Lord and the treasures of the royal palace. He took everything, including all the gold shields Solomon had made. So King Rehoboam made bronze shields to replace them and assigned these to the commanders of the guard on duty at the entrance to the royal palace. Whenever the king went to the Lord's temple, the guards bore the shields, and afterward they returned them to the guard room. As for the other events of Rehoboam's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of Judah? There was continual warfare between Rehoboam and Jeroboam, so north and south, always fighting, 31, and Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried with them in the city of David. His mother's name was Naamah. Oh, by the way, once again, she was an Ammonite. This is what started the whole thing. That's the point of putting that in there. You do stupid things. Bad things happen. Amen? That's one of, you could say, that's one of my proverbs. All right, now. So, uh, let's say, we started with a figure of speech, like father, like son, so let's put number two as, don't bite the hand that feeds, because this is the end of, of the South for a while. So Judah's going to be spanked. They deserve it. You know, the Lord is singing, you're cheating hard, you know? And, and so it's just a few years into this, the Lord says, that's it. <laughs> That's it. Maybe a little, maybe if I turn up the heat just a little bit, that'll bring you back into my loving arms. And you know what? It always does too. So don't bite the hand that feeds simply means don't ruin a relationship whereby you're getting uh, greatly benefited. Right? Duh. You would think, right? So uh, sin blinds you to conventional wisdom. Right, because why would you offend the person who, who gives breath to your lungs and, and, and causes your heart to beat? 
Why would you want to offend that person? It would seem pretty logical and wise that we would want to be on good terms with that person who gives us breath and decides, okay, tomorrow's another day. I decide you get to live, right? We, do, do you want to tick him off? <laughs> Is that, I, I just don't think that's smart. All right, so God chastises Rehoboam through Egypt, which I find very interesting. So powerful, wealthy, envy of the world because they walked with God in unparalleled peace they had. Now Israel used to be strong and secure with David and Solomon um, because of obedience, but the king and the people have rejected the Lord and now the protective wall comes down. Now I'm into idioms tonight. Let me drop another one. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You know what that means, right? You can't eat your cake all gone and have your cake. You can't do two incompatible things and this is what they want. They want to say that they're in connection with God. They want to enjoy God's blessing. They don't want to obey him. They want to cheat on him and they expect to be blessed as God's people. Well, that's not gonna happen. So the Lord says, down with the shields, up comes uh, Egypt and God's heart is always to redeem. Perhaps they'll return to me, you know. Uh, let me show you Second Chronicles 12, uh, one. It's a, quite a long one. After Rehoboam's, now, Chronicles shouldn't come right after First and Second Kings. In the Hebrew Bible, it comes way at the end because First and Second Chronicles is a commentary on First and Second Kings after they come back from exile. So the Holy Spirit is kind of uh, interpreting First and Second Kings sort of in a theologically upbeat way where God's faithfulness is emphasized rather than man's unfaithfulness. And there's some differences as well. So there's some good news here, and I just wanted you to see the whole picture of it. After Rehoboam's position as king was established and he had become strong, he and all Israel with him abandoned the law of the Lord because they had been unfaithful to the Lord. Shishak, he's really a pharaoh, attacks Jerusalem in the fifth year of his reign with 1,200 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and innumerable troops of Libyans, Sukites, and Cushites uh, up from Ethiopia as well that came with him from Egypt. He captured the fortified cities of Judah and came as far as Jerusalem then the prophet Shemaiah came to Rehoboam and to the leaders of Judah who had assembled in Jerusalem for fear of Shishak. And, and he said to them, he was thinking first and then he, <laughs> this is what the Lord says. So the prophet says to them, they're all freaked out now. Yeah. Why don't you go running to your spreading tree and the priestesses? Oh, okay. You have abandoned me, the Lord says. Therefore, I now abandon you to Shishak. It's a good deal, right? You, you turn from me, I turn from you. You got a problem with that? The leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves. We don't get this. And said, the Lord is just. Okay, God, you're right. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, this is Rehoboam. 
This word of the Lord came to Shemaiah. Since they've humbled themselves, I will not destroy them, but will soon give them deliverance. My wrath will be my, ma- my wrath will not be poured out on Jerusalem through Shishak. They will, however, become subject to him, and I love this, so that they may learn the difference between serving me and serving the kings of other lands. I'm just gonna let him occupy them, and you guys can serve him and bow down to him and see if you like that better than bowing down to me. God, he's got a sense of humor, too. And then jumping to verse 12, because Rehoboam, this is David's grandson, humbled himself, the Lord's anger turned from him, and he was not totally destroyed. Indeed, there was some good in Judah. And so uh, we leave this whole idea uh, rather hopeful. So that's nice to hear. The big irony, of course, is that the Lord uses Egypt the place that stands for sin and bondage and the world, he uses that because that's what they're doing. So he, he lets Egypt make a house call. It's true. God took his people out of Egypt, out of the world, out of bondage, out of sin. But they didn't get the Egypt out of their hearts. And so if Egypt is still in your heart, then you're, you're summoning Pharaoh and all his chariots to come put you back into bondage. That's the whole point there. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 34, whoever sins is a slave to sin. So according to Egyptian records and the scriptures, 150 cities were taken in the siege Jerusalem was severely looted and occupied. The vast wealth, love this, all that wealth, they were the richest nation in the world. Uh, The queen of the south, queen of Sheba came up and said, it took my breath away. Uh, She's pretty wealthy herself. Took my breath away. And Egypt came up and took your text, everything, gone down to the gold shields in the forest of Lebanon, remember, in the palace there. Just took everything. Why would, the Lord's like, what does this matter? What does it matter? You don't have a relationship with me. What does it matter if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? I'm so happy. Look at all the gold and the bling and the accomplishment. It means zero. So he allows Egypt to come in and take it away because it has no meaning apart from relationship with God. And so, by the way, the, just the loss in the gold shields is 33 million in today's money. Proverbs of love, cast but a, 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 cast but a glance at riches and they're gone for they shall surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. So out, out comes everything and of course, you know, Rehoboam, you know. We can't have the gold shields gone. So we have to replace them with bronze shields, you know, just to keep up the show. You know, we still got the shields, but they're made out of bronze. You know, I have written down here, treasures on earth are fun, but it's better to live for God and store up treasures where Egyptians can't come in and haul them out. (laughs) Amen? And now we find out that he repented. That's nice. Have you ever heard the term Jero, J-E-R-O, it stands for just enough 
repentance only. It's the mentality of Rehoboam. How far can I live to the edge without falling off? And you actually can. You can arrive in heaven kind of in a crash landing on the runways of heaven and get pulled out and they dust the flames. They got flame uh, retardants and things and, and they'll, they'll dust you off up there and they'll say, wow, whoo, you made it. Still kind of smell a little smoke, you know? Uh, and if you doubt me, which isn't good, but first, first Corinthians chapter three, one through 15, one through 10, and you'll see that. Saved as though by faith. Fire. Whoa, that was a close one. Can you imagine? I mean, you're going to be happy. You're going to be happy. Whoa, yeah, you just missed hell, but just barely. No, no cities to rule over. Zero for you. There's a whole world that we reign and rule with Christ, and our positions there are going to be determined by our faithfulness here. We're not earning our salvation, but by our faithfulness, we will be placed in positions reigning and ruling with Christ. That's your reward or lack thereof. That's the Bema seat of Christ that Paul talks about, where we'll all stand there, every last one of us, not it does not end in condemnation. It ends in reward. You, do, you, you take 10 cities. You take five cities. You take no cities. Rehoboam, perhaps. I'm not judging Rehoboam. I'm just saying, you know, there's that kind of mentality. So Jerusalem spared, nations are weakened, both of them, I'll call them both nations, and hostility still, and we have a little bit of time. So chapter 15, we won't make it all the way through, but let's start down the list of kings, all right? So we're down to now, uh, the first two kings of Judah will be in verses 1 through 24. We'll make it down perhaps to 14. So there's Abijah, he's bad, and Asa, he's good, all right? So that's the southern king. Oh, I got a slide here. No, I'm gonna make you guess, okay? It, yes, very good. All right, so chapter 15, these four kings are dealt with. So first he starts in the south. Uh, Abijam, he has two names, which always makes things a little more difficult. It's Abijah or Abijam. All right, uh, Chronicles calls him one thing, Kings calls him another. Commentators say, Abijah is too, uh, God is my father, it means. And so because he was evil and didn't do well, he's got a name change to uh, something else that ends with the jam, which isn't as nice as if it was awe. Jah means God in Hebrew, by the way. All right, so <laughs> then the two kings of Israel are verses 25 through 34, all you note takers, Nadab and Baasha, both are evil. So let's look at Abijah and Abijam, all right? At least, and Asa. Oh, sorry, Abijah's one person. <laughs> let's look at Abijah and Asa to verse 14, all right? In the eighth year of the reign of Jeroboam, so now when we have to talk about a king in the other kingdom, 
the other guys alive, so don't get confused. We're just going now back in time to look at the other kingdom, all right? So in the 18th year of the reign of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, Abijah, Abijam, or whatever you want to call him, became king of Judah, all right? So this is Rehoboam's son. And he reigned in Jerusalem three short years. His mother's name was Maaka, daughter of Abishalom. He committed all the sins of his father, Rehoboam, right, had done before him. His heart wasn't fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David, his forefather, had been. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by raising up a son to succeed him and by making Jerusalem strong. For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. There was a war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam throughout Abijah's lifetime. As for the other events and Abijah's reign and all he did, uh, check out the book of Annals and you'll find it there. There was war between Abijah and Jeroboam and Abijah rested with his father so was buried in the city of David and Asa, his son, succeeded him as king. All right, let's pause here. A few comments and then we'll finish up. Number three, the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. Another one, all right? So what does that mean? Of course, everybody knows what it means. Children are often very much like their parents. So he's like Rehoboam, his father, uh, but David's uh, great-grandson is not like David. He's contrasted to David, as they all will be. David is the standard to judge all the kings by because God says, that guy loved me. Yeah, I know about the Hittite. I know what he did. I write it in there. Yeah, we all know that. But the bent of his life, his passion, his joy to worship me, who trusted me like David? Who wrote songs pouring out his heart like that? Who loved my people more than David. He says, I'm going to measure everybody by him, not because he was perfect, but because he loved me. He was a guy after my own heart, as God described him in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. That's why he gave, that's why he's the standard. He's constantly after my heart. What does that mean to be after somebody's heart? You're always trying to win them. You're always trying to impress them. You're always trying to make them happy, you know? That's all David was thinking about. How can I make him happy? He had a couple slips. But the Lord says the bent of his life was good. J. Vernon McGee said, my friends. (laughs) You know him, right, on the radio? If you didn't know who I was talking to about, you just figured it out. He said, what What David did once, Babylonian kings did every other day. There's a difference between the moral failure of a good man and men who live that way day to day. Yeah, I like that too. Uh, So verse four, he says, and because of that, even though he's wicked, he says, it doesn't matter. I made a promise to David. We're going all the way through. 
not dependent on your behavior. And so he says, I'm gonna keep a lamp lit, you know, kind of like Motel 6, you know. I'm gonna keep a lamp on that throne, meaning I'm gonna keep David's bloodline going all the way and nothing you guys could do are gonna stop me because I made a promise. And you could see that uh, in the scriptures. Like I said, Romans chapter one and verse three. As to his human nature, Jesus was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. David's grandchild, God. Talk about bragging about your grandchildren taking it to a new level. You know, nobody else could say that, really. Well, great, great, what does Second Timothy, First uh, Timothy chapter three say? It says, great is the mystery of our faith. He appeared in a body. He appeared in a body that was related to humans. How blessed, how blessed is that. And we, his children, adopted in. That's so awesome. Uh, so the second king of Judah is awash. King Abijah sells out. Uh, what about uh, what about his heir, this number three, David's great-great-grandson? Uh, now, nine through 14 will be done. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa, all right, so Asa becomes king of Judah. Now, he's great-great-grandson of David. And he reigned in Jerusalem 41 years. His grandmother's name was Ma'aka, daughter of Abba Shalom. Asa did what was right. Let's all burst into applause, please. (laughs) Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. Now he's great-great-granddaddy, but we don't say that. The scripture just says as his father. He expelled the male shrine prostitutes from the land and got rid of all the idols his fathers had made. He even deposed his grandmother, Maaka, from her position as queen mother because she made a repulsive Asherah pole. Asa cut down the pole, burned it in the Kidron Valley. Although he did not remove the high places, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. So lastly, let's comment on this paragraph. Uh, Number four, grace happens, okay? So in this case, the apple does roll far from the tree and leaves the orchard altogether and, and is a throwback to a different kind of tree altogether. King David, his father. Now maybe he looked like David, who knows? That happens. But we do know he acts like him. So what do you do to be a good king? Well, I'm glad you asked. First, number one, he's a man of action. Now, no amens during this time, and you'll see why. Action item number one, King James Version, verse 12. He banished the perverted persons from the land. That word is male prostitutes. King James also has sodomites. And 
these state-sanctioned homosexual idol temple prostitutes were introduced into Judah during the reign of Rehoboam, as we saw, Asa's father, uh, Abijah, didn't remove these perversions and idols, but King Asa did. Now, let me read you a quote. The suffocating bombardment from sitcoms and Hollywood with their deceptive efforts to portray homosexuality as something positive, and while movies and the music industry and our education systems and recent legislation may, may seek to normalize same-sex unions, the Bible, from cover to cover, uses the strongest language and terms to condemn such behavior. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Anybody with any brokenness in any realm of sexuality can come to the Lord Jesus Christ and be born again. Therefore, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. As the Lord says in Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, I am the Lord. Is anything too difficult for me? He can give anybody a new nature. He could heal anybody of anything. Um, Genesis 19 is Sodom, Leviticus 18.22, Romans 1, 26 and 27, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Jude, verse 4, 17 and 19. The whole world can change its mind on the subject, but Malachi 3, 6, I, the Lord, do, do not change. I don't change. Hebrews 13, 7, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The world can change, change the laws, and change their mind, but the Lord doesn't. So good kings stand up against evil things. They hate the sin. They love the sinners. They win the sinners. <laughs> Come to Christ and be changed. And so, yes, action item with idols and immorality, uh, good king Asa did that. And time, number two, he did two things that took a lot of courage. And two things that define what really being a good believer is about. Having courage to take a stand where it's difficult. Do you know how hard it was for him to get rid of the temple prostitutes and tear down all the shrines when Israel loved them? There was a lot of pressure not to do that. And how about granny? <laughs> Let's talk about wicked granny. Wicked granny is called a dowager queen. It means when the husband, Rehoboam, who, by the way, Chronicles says, uh, this woman, Granny, Maka, was his favorite wife. So when Rehoboam died, she became queen mother, pulling the strings, okay? Second uh, Chronicles 11.21 says she was the favorite. So she becomes queen mother. And then Abijah comes to the throne but she's pulling the strings and she's controlling the place. And Abijah only gets to reign three years. He's evil anyway, right? And then he dies. And then her grandson comes to the throne. And the grandson, for whatever reason, the grace of God, perhaps he saw that his dad was taken out after three years of this kind of uh, baloney. 
And so he just smartened up, said, I'm going to be a good king. And the, and the second thing he did was go to Granny, his grandmother, and say, you're out of here. Get you. And what, what caused it? Your, your text says, verse 13, he deposed Grandma because she makes an Asherah pole. The word in the Hebrew is, means horrifying, repulsive, disgusting. Grandma makes an image, a terrible image, for the sex goddess. The astral pole says, come in and turn in here, and we'll take care of you. So he says, Grandma, you're disgusting. You're out of here. Get out of here. And he throws Grandma out of the palace. I love him. Do you know how hard that was to do? Do you know how hard it was to take a stand against oh, the homosexuality of the day there and the, the sacred stones and the chopping down the every spreading tree? Do you know how hard that was to do? And then to come into the home with all her support systems. She's been through several administrations as queen mother with the reins. She's the evil one. And how unbecoming of a grandma to be involved in sexual immorality with your gray hair and your wrinkles, your grandma. You're supposed to be knitting booties by the fire. You're supposed to be cooking us dinners and, and being sweet and kind. Never is there anything more pathetic and sad and heartbreaking that when behind gray hair and wrinkled face comes profanity and, 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 and bitterness and sexual immorality of dirty old men and corrupted old ladies. And you know how that happened? Teenagers living wild just continue to have birthdays. That's what happened. They just kept on having birthdays. The buttons kept opening up more and more. The gold chains kept coming on. Old guys, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> just, the cars became cooler and cooler and cooler. Oh, my. I pulled up, and I've mentioned this before because I can't get it out of my head. I pulled up at a farm stand. It was little grandma and grandpa's tomato patches. It was just, oh. Grandma, Grandpa, I got near them. I, I was defiled. I was, I was so grieved. I couldn't believe. I, I, the words, the words, the crassness, the crudeness, the vulgarity. It was, Grandma, no. Hugh Hefner, these people. It's so sad. Gray hair is supposed to be the crown of splendor. It is attained by a righteous life. Now, what's the point of that? Solomon's saying through the Holy Spirit, assuming a person is walking with the Lord in their younger years, they're walking their lives out, and by the time you see some gray and some wrinkles, there's respect there. 
There is wisdom and gentleness and self-control and life lessons. And they've gone up to the mountaintop and down to the valley and they've come out and they're shining. And when you see that on them, the gray hair, the wrinkles, the sign of age, it says of a person who's walked with God, honor, respect. But the gray hair of Ma'aka, queen mother, meant that she was still involved in sexual immorality as a senior citizen. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's just not right. <laughs> Simmer down. Simmer down. No. All right. We're just about done. So she gets the boot, the pole gets chopped down and, and burned in a place of judgment. The Kidron Valley is called the, the place of judgment by the Jews. It's not very far from the palace. You can look down as we did. You look right into the Kidron Valley. Jesus crossed, it, oh, crossed over it to get up to the Mount of Olives. It goes, the Kidron Valley, just because I'm gonna throw this in for free, goes 20 miles all the way down to the Dead Sea. It just... Uh, an interesting place to be. Uh, Asa, verse 14, he wasn't perfect. The high place is just a little out of his reach. The Lord said, you know what? That guy loved me. I like that because he just said, you know what? Sometimes there are things that are gonna be out of your reach and you just didn't get to. And you know what? I know you love me. I'm not encouraging any of you to leave the high places intact. <laughs> but I am saying that the grace of God is a marvelous thing, is it not? All right, well, we'll finish up good King Asa. He's got one more very involved paragraph, <laughs> uh, but he's a good king, so it's worth it, amen? And, and then we'll go north for the two wicked kings, all right? That'll be next week. All righty, so why don't we have the worship team come up and I'll read my reflections. All right, we'll sing. Are you ready, you note takers? Reflection number one. Believing parents must, through faithful and loving instruction and godly example, do everything they can to set their children up for spiritual success. The fewer the stumbling blocks we leave behind, the better. Number two. Let us not provoke the Lord to jealousy with rival loves, um, but rather give him first place in our hearts where he belongs. Amen? You're allowed to say amen now. Good, thank you. Three, when God brings a tough time along. Go ahead and play, Nikki. Thank you. When God brings a tough time along to get your attention, it's wise to humble yourself and seek him because things always get better when you do submit. It always gets better. He, he humbled himself, not all the way, but he humbled himself a little and he was blessed. Four, whoever sins is a slave to sin. Sin always impoverishes. Let's be slaves to God instead and be blessed. And last, number five, being a good man or woman of God means you love him, and from that love comes courage to stand up to evil wherever you find him. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful scripture. We, we just love looking and seeing and observing how to walk with you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. And thank you that you've put a new spirit in us that wants to do the right thing. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's stand, closing song. The way to just stay safe is so easy. Just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, your nose in the book, your knees on the ground, your hands and your feet serving the Lord. These last days can be tough. The Holy Spirit's in there. Cooperate with him. Stay close to the word of God. Put the word of God in your ear buddies there at the gym, wherever you are. Read the word of God in the morning, even if it's just a little bit. Read it before you go to bed. Read it at lunchtime. Just pull out your, 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 your smartphone or your, bi- your actual Bible. What a concept. <laughs> and get that word in there. It's alive. It's active. It can help you. How can a young man keep his way pure? Hiding, hiding the word in his heart, right? By your word. Father God, we commit ourselves to your care. We, we just need the fullness of the Holy Spirit to keep that sinful nature down. And our hearts willing and open and soft and wanting to serve you and turn the other cheek and forgive those who hurt us and walk with God when it's hard and do the things we don't want to do. And all of that by the fullness of the Holy Spirit through prayer, through faith, and through the word of God. There's no way to lose when we just cooperate with you. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. amen. God bless you. There's prayer at the cross, and we'll see you Sunday morning. God bless you.